morning, First Church. Why don't we go ahead and stand, get into some worship. Before we do, let's let's go ahead and pray. Um, Jesus, we are so glad that we can be here in your presence. Um, Even if we don't know that you are here, God, we pray that we would just become more aware that that you are here. Um, Guide our thoughts, help us to to come to you with everything that we have, and um, just present um, our hearts to you, Lord. Um, God, we acknowledge that you are powerful, and um, you are all that we need, and that you are love and and grace. So God, just help us to, to worship with joy this morning, and peace in Jesus' name. Sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. As he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. salvation where your love poured out over me now my soul cries out
Nothing compares 
Jesus, thank you for everything that you've done for us. Thank you that you um, that you take our sins um, for us, for everything that we've done. Um, God, there's nothing that we can do. Um, we are we are stained. Um, no one is perfect, but you you make us clean. You make us beautiful in your sight, God. Um, you are so so amazing, um, so full of glory and power. Um, we pray that you would just guide our thoughts, um, guide our hearts, open our minds to hear the words that we are going to to hear and speak through Bob. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, we're going to take another minute, and we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. Thanks for coming back. Um, we're a couple of quick things. First of all, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all those fathers. Thank you. Um, I'm doing one more sermon uh, today that I are kind of things that I've wanted to talk about for a while and figuring places to fit them in. And after when the coronavirus hit, it became a good time to talk about more specific things. <clears throat> but next week, I, you probably don't even remember, before coronavirus, we started a series on Hosea and got a couple in and then everything went crazy. And so next week, we're going to get back, jump back into Hosea and... Uh, work through that, and then figure out where we're going in the fall. So today, what I wanted to talk about is, it's from Acts chapter 2, I call it the way of the Spirit, and it is this idea of if we are the ones Jesus said, go into the whole world, go throughout the world. He said, go to Ju Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts, the limits of the world. Well, if you, I mean, I know myself, if we know who we are, there's no way we can do what Jesus wants us to do. And so that's why the Holy Spirit come, becomes involved. And I, and I wanted to talk about that. Um, because when Jesus, in, in the book of Acts, he told them the Spirit's coming now, and then he just told them to wait. And I hate waiting. I, I don't know about you. I hate waiting. When I was growing up, uh, occasionally we went to church. We didn't go very often. We weren't really a Christian family, but we would uh, occasionally uh, go to church. And, and, and the church didn't have you know, really cool children's programs or anything like that. You just sat with your parents in these pews and the kneeling benches and you didn't understand exactly what was going on. And so my mom sometimes would bring a little bag of Cheerios, uh, like many moms do. And uh, I look back and I realize I was like a, a, a lab rat in an experiment, you know, do Cheerios reinforce good behavior? Can Cheerios make a kid be quiet? And so uh, I just kind of learned when I wanted to sit through something long and boring, I'd bring a little snack like this. And so, and we didn't have, we didn't have honey nut Cheerios because those things are like crack cocaine. I mean, it's just crazy. I love those things. But as you can see, because I have this, I've set the bar very low for today's sermon because I, I just wanted to make sure you understood that. So Jesus, man, dumb. Jesus tells them to wait, and the question is, for what? And he tells, it's for the Holy Spirit. And they're like, well, yeah, okay, but how, how will we know when he comes? How will we know that? And I want us to look at what the Holy Spirit means to us, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, if we're supposed to live by the Spirit, how does that work? Now, we can't cover all of that in one sermon, but we want to touch these things so that we think about them and, and we keep them in our heads. And I want to start off with this passage from uh, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So now Luke is telling us what happened, and he's using word pictures. You can pick that up from the way he says this, because he says suddenly it was, it was like the blowing of a violent wind, okay? He says it was like violent wind. It wasn't violent wind, but this is the closest thing I can come to to describe it. And then he says it seemed to be, or it was like tongues of fire. It wasn't necessarily that actual tongues of fire, but he says this is the closest thing I can say to relate to it. So, so you had this wind, you had this fire. If we had earth, we'd have a whole group. It would be perfect. Ah, why do I say these things? Okay, so anyways, even as I'm saying it, my mind is saying, no, stop, and I still say it. This is my lack of self-control. So he's using these because human ability, human words can't quite describe what happened, and so he's trying to. And see, this is a problem I think many of us, we feel like we're not sure. How do I talk about the Holy Spirit? How does that work out in my life? And, and so I want to take some of the, in a sense, the mystery out. But in a sense, I realize you can't take the mystery out. The Spirit is full of mystery. And Jesus didn't try to take the mystery out of the Spirit either. In fact, he said this. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, we see in Greek and even in Hebrew the word for wind, the word for breath, the word for spirit. These are the same words. Oftentimes, just a little bit of a change to make them. And so there's mystery, he's saying, in wind. There's mystery in the life-giving breath of God. There's mystery in the Spirit. He's trying to get us to realize that. So what's going on and what does it mean for us? First thing, Acts chapter 2 is not the beginning of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been around since the beginning of time. Genesis 1-2 says the Spirit hovered over the waters. And the rabbis love that text. Rabbis have written a ton of stuff on that text way before the first century. Talking about how it hovered, how it hovered like a dove. That was an important thing to them. Because that word for hovered gave them this image of this dove hovering over the waters. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon people. Moses, it came upon Moses, came upon Joshua for wisdom. It came upon the craftsmen who were building the tabernacle. It could come on a place. We had the cloud uh, in, in, as they, the wilderness wandering. We had the glory filling the tabernacle when they built the tabernacle, or when they, you know, the first one and then the one in, in Jerusalem. The glory of God came. It was the Shekinah glory. But in the Old Testament, it was always a temporary, when it came on to people, it was always temporary. It came for a specific purpose, and then it seems that it leaves. And then we get to the first century. We get to the time of Jesus. It's been 400 years since the last prophet. It's been 400 years since the Spirit spoke in that way. There's a new temple built in Jerusalem, but there's no Shekinah glory. And so people were asking, where's the Spirit? Is the Spirit gone? And then one day, a man named Jesus begins his ministry. He gets baptized, and something happens. It says, make sure I do the right one here, yeah. It says, at that moment, the, heavens, the heaven was opened, and Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending, hovering like a dove. 
This is so key. This is so key. All four gospel writers mention this because this is so key for them. It's very interesting sometimes what they think is key and what we think is key because oftentimes what we think is key is something that they don't think is, is that key. And what they think is key, we're like, uh, you know. And, but here, they're saying something incredibly important. Why? Because this traces all the way back to Genesis 1. This is something key for them. This was loaded for them. And then we're told in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that word dwelling is the word to, to tabernacle. To live, to be a part of something. It's like he's back. Just like in the old days, except on a person. And then we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Now now we're touching on this idea of Shekinah, the glory. They used to have to go to the temple to see that glory. But now the glory is coming to us. The glory is seeking us, showing love to us. Jesus lives in this constant communion with the Spirit. And this has never been seen before. It's always been temporary. And now it's, it's a constant thing. And in John 16, Jesus tells them, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I will send him. But you're going to have to wait. And waiting can be so tough sometimes. In my family... My, kids, my wife and my kids have learned that they sometimes don't share things with me that involve Christmas presents because I'm terrible with Christmas. Once I know what someone's getting, it's like it's, so, it's, it's such good news, right? I, have, I feel like I'm being biblical by telling people what their present will be when Christmas comes because it's good news. I have to share it. And so sometimes my wife will say, I got, I got something, and she'll say, but I don't know if do you promise not to tell anyone? You know, and I'm like, yes, please tell. And then, of course, I struggle with that terribly. I've struggled when I was a little kid, you know, giving away Christmas presents to my parents. I hate waiting. But you need to stop and think about that. Why? Why do I hate waiting? Not just do I struggle with waiting, but what's behind that? And I think what, when, you, when you kind of deep down, you dig down, it's because... I want to be in control. I want to be in control. I want to be in control of the situation. I want to be in control of things. I have a problem with that. And the, and, and the disciples, they had to realize that life in the Spirit is not something of being in control. He tells them you're going to have to wait. And our job is to wait for him, to submit to him, to walk in him, to listen to him. But the Spirit is going to lead you know, we have, we have TV shows like Dancing with the Stars and stuff like that where they, where they do those kind of things. But if you've ever seen, you know, like if you've ever been to a wedding or, or sometimes the outdoor concerts here at Port Warwick, and you'll see a couple of people who get up, some couples who get up, and they're really good dancers. Like they really know what they're doing. And you, if you ever see that, you just, wow, that's beautiful. Two people moving in perfect synchronization you know, and, 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 and it, can be, it can be very beautiful. I, I, to dance well, I'm told, because I don't, to dance well, someone has to lead and someone has to follow. And the person who usually leads is 
in dancing, the man, and the one who usually follows is the woman. Now, is this because men are stronger and smarter and more capable, better leaders? Okay, that's a rhetorical question. We're not answering that one out loud. Or is it because we live in a sexist, repressive, patriarchal society? Another rhetorical question. Don't answer that out loud. I can see right now at home, probably, there's these couples that are looking at each other so angrily. Um, what, what, what it is is that someone has to lead. Someone has to follow. And when it's done right, it's beautiful. And we live in kind of a dance of life. It's not a bad picture for life in the spirit. There's kind of a joy and an aliveness and a spontaneity and a freshness to it. There's a beauty. There's a beauty to it when we're saying, I want to dance and I'm going to allow the spirit to lead and I'm going to follow. But it starts with the weight. And we don't like that. This is what happened. When I became a follower of Jesus Christ, he sent his spirit to be with me. And my job now isn't to try real hard to do a bunch of stuff. My job really is to do this. Don't quench the spirit. Don't grieve the spirit. Don't hold the spirit back. Don't be the problem that the spirit has to work around right? Be in tune. That's what I want to do. And so when we're told to things like walk in the Spirit, he's trying to get across something that's, that can be very difficult for us to think through. It means to be with him, to not quench, to not grieve, to be with him as much as we can to figure out what is God doing right now in my life, in the lives of people around me. How can I get in touch with that? How can I be in tune with that? How can I be in step with that? And th that requires sometimes a little bit of work. We have to think. We have to pray. We have to spend time with God, getting to know him so that his spirit, especially through his word, speaks to us and teaches us and moves us. It's not as easy as one, two, three, A, B, C, do this and you're good. We, we love that kind of stuff. We love that, you know, here's, here's, Three steps to happiness. Here's five steps to weight loss. Here's, you know, steps to better skin. Here's steps to more hair. Why is that on there? Um, steps, to, steps to obedient kids. Steps to finding. And I'm just, <clears throat> what I'm telling you is stuff I've seen in books all over the place. They're all over the place. Here's the steps that you need to do. You name it. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying to work, exercise some, eat better. <clears throat> My doctor I've told you this before. My doctor informed me that, uh, that I was obese, and, um, and I was shocked, shocked, I tell you. And the problem is, he's, he's telling me this. My doctor used to be a pretty large guy, and he lost weight. So I can't tell him, you don't know how hard it is, because he does know how hard it is, and he's done it, right? And so he's telling me, you, you need to do this. And I want to say, <clears throat> I need four easy steps. But he gave me one easy step. He said, don't eat so much. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but you don't know. I can't say that one to you, you know. But here's the thing. We want it easy. We want things easy. I want what I want, and I want it right now. And that's not how God works. He doesn't play by our rules. He told them, wait, and you will receive power. We want the power, but we're not as keen on the waiting thing. But we want the power, right? Years ago, I was working with teenagers, and we would take, we had a, we had a pretty big group, and you know, we'd, we'd get two buses, and we would 
we a number of times we there's a there's a camp that I was involved in in Florida that was just really cool camp and it, and it was and it was Florida and it was a pretty wealthy part of Florida so it had all the accoutrements of a camp like that you could learn how to barefoot water ski you could learn you know you could we taught the karate they had a huge skateboard park they had a place for bikes they had they had singing they they, they had like 20 different things that you could take at this camp things you wanted to do and then one day they had a big picnic, a big barbecue, and the camp was like six or seven hundred kids in it at, at, uh, at a lake. There's a huge place, and, and they'd bring their water ski boats, and they had like five of them. And some of them worked at Cypress Gardens pulling all those, so, so they're, they're, they're these professional water ski boats. And then for fun for the campers, what they would do is they would just pick out some of the leaders and say, we're going we're gonna to have them water ski. They're going to try to do tricks for you, you know. And they said, Bob, get up here. And I'm like, no, I mean, I can water ski, but I'm not, you know, tricks, whatever. So they get me up there. And, and they're, you know, I'm getting ready, and they bring in this other guy, this young guy. <clears throat> That's always a problem when uh, you're coupled with someone who's younger and, and not, as, not as safety conscious as you are, right? And so we're both being pulled by this boat, and, and the guy talks to the younger guy without me realizing it at first, and he tells him, if we're going too slow, just do this. We'll go faster. If we go too fast, do this. And we might slow down, right? And so... We get going, and they start going, and we're doing like 25, 30 miles an hour. That's all you need to do to water ski. And he, this kid's, this is too slow, right? So they're going faster, and they're going faster, and he keeps going. Up. And the guy in the back of the boat is going like this, 35. And the kid's like, 40. So we get to 50 miles an hour. And it's just, like, I, sometimes, you know, you, when you ski, you go outside of the wake and you bump. I'm dead behind the boat, just like this, scared out of my wits. And I'm trying to do this without letting go, because I know if I let go, I'm a goner. So I'm doing this, and I'm trying to get them to slow down, and this kid's going faster. And then they come and start swinging right in front of all the kids, all this whole camp, and the dude just hits it. And so he turns. Well, you know what happens when he turns. You start going centrifugal, just pulls you out. And I'm like, da, 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 barely skipping on the water. And finally, I just couldn't hold it anymore. And, and I started going. And then, a, you know, you do this. And it's interesting, you know, because sometimes at a high speed, you, you hit water. The first time, you just skip. It's just like, boop. And at first, I'm boop. And I'm like, okay, I'm alive. This is going to be, the second time, it's like hitting a brick wall. You just plow into the water because you're totally, and I thought I was dying. I thought, I, I thought my whole body hurt. What happened? There was all kinds of power, but it was out of control power. There's different kinds of power. And the Holy Spirit comes with a power that we can handle in the sense of it doesn't just totally wipe us out. Because Jesus told them, he says, I want you to go back to the Jerusalem. And he told them, you're going to wait, right? He says, I'm, I've got this kingdom, and I've told you how to pray for it. He, bringing the kingdom down, praying for the kingdom, bringing up there, down here. And Jesus says, I want you to live in that kingdom. I want you to live out my presence. It's going to take the Holy Spirit, and it's going to take power. Now, how does that power happen? You won't always be able to understand it. And they got it wrong sometimes, right? They envied 
they had the wrong focus. There was even the man, Simon the sorcerer, who was so captivated by the power of the Holy Spirit that, he, that he, he offered the disciples money to make him like a licensed distributor of Holy Spirit power. He, th- these, these things started happening. Corrections had to be made. But he was saying, you've got to live it in me, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you in sometimes little ways and sometimes in big ways. But if you try to do it without me, Jesus is saying, it's like trying to water ski behind a rowboat. You're, 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 it's never going to work. It's never going to work. You might have good intentions, and you might try really hard, but that's not how it works. So let's talk about that for a second. It doesn't mean it bypasses our humanity. It's not the kind of power that shortcuts time and patience and difficulty. There's no free pass from suffering or pain in our lives. But he is mysterious, and he is supernatural, And he is present with us every day if we're a follower of Jesus Christ. And he has the power, the ultimate power. What is that ultimate power? The ultimate power is to change a person's heart. Change a person's heart. Because every parent in this room knows you can change how your kid looks. You can dress your kid up. You can make your kid. I I was raised in a military family. My dad was like, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. That is automatic you, if I ever catch you not saying that, you're in deep, deep trouble. And, uh, and I was a rotten kid. But I said to my friend's parents, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And they thought I was the best kid. Why aren't you more like little Bobby? And, the, and, and my friends would be like, you do not know what you're saying, right? And, and I, that's true. I mean, it, you can dress somebody up and they can look great, but their heart's not changed, And my heart wasn't changed until later in my life when Jesus Christ got a hold of me. Because I knew where I was going. I knew what I was running to. We need that power. The Holy Spirit has that power. And it's not like a new religion started at Pentecost. Pentecost is is the Greek word for the festival, the the festival of booze, Shavuot, that the, the Jews would call it. But it means 50 and, and the rabbis used to say that it was, they thought it was about 50 days from, um, from their freedom from the, uh, from the Egyptians at Passover to the giving of the Torah, 50 days. And they loved exploring this because the rabbis went crazy. With it. I'll give you one. Exodus 20.18 says that they heard the thunder, but actually it's the thunderings. The, the, the word has this idea of lots of thunder. And the rabbis would say, why plural? Why, why so many thunders? Why? And they said, it was voices. Because God wants the Torah to go to the whole world. So the thunder was God speaking the Torah in the voices, in the languages of all the people of the world. Now, this was, this was hundreds, the rabbis writing this stuff was hundreds of years before Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years before the Acts 2 Pentecost. But think about that. What happened at that moment in Acts chapter 2? They spoke in languages that everyone could understand. They spoke everyone's language. Everyone was hearing the word of God in their own language. Greek, Egyptian, Persian. Uh, my wife thinks that it was a Boston-flavored English that was being spoken there, that everybody, everybody thought it had that kind of an accent because that's the language of God in her opinion. But the problem here is, well, the good thing is, They had this idea of God speaks to me personally. And the Torah, the noble, the beautiful Torah, 
The only problem is we can't do it. Something ruined us that makes us want to violate, makes us want to do the wrong thing. We know that is the sin nature, but something has happened. And so the Torah becomes something that is beyond us. You know, there's a wonder in us because we're made in the image of God. There's, there, there's this wonderfulness. And, and you know, I have, I have two little grandkids, and sometimes and before the coronavirus, they'd come over and, and they, could, they could spend the night and just seeing this little, little year and a half year old boy laying there. It was like, this is the most beautiful. This kid is way better than my kids. It just is beautiful. He's just, he's just so wonderful. And then he woke up. And it all went to just hell in a handbag, right? You know, it just was terrible. It, why? Because we're all that. It's natural in us. And so what happens? We see the Torah and we say we can't do it. We see people, um, well, let me read you this because Ezekiel, this is, this, is, this is just such a cool passage. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What is going on here? Ezekiel the prophet is saying there's coming a day when the Torah can be lived because my spirit will be in you. He's talking about what's going to happen because of Jesus. And he's saying it will be doable. You will be able to follow what I want you to do. See, it's no accident the Spirit came on Pentecost because they were connecting the dots. It was 50 days, they believed, from, the, from, from Passover to the giving of the law on the mountain, and everybody heard thunderings that they thought were different voices. And then what happens? We see that reenacted from the four Gospels into the book of Acts, and suddenly at Pentecost, they hear many voices. And the Spirit comes down. The Spirit becomes a permanent fixture on this earth. It's what Ezekiel was talking about in chapter 36, verses 26 to 27. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. And so it's no accident that what happened in Acts chapter 2, God is following a plan that has been in motion since the very beginning. He has the, gave us the law and now he gives us the power to be obedient to his will. And that's what's still happening today. There will be times where you will be tempted to give up on something. And God, that you know that God has been asking you to do. And, and he will give you the power, the energy to finally do it. The strength to do it. These times will happen in your life. I've heard people talk about these things. People who go to this church. Sometimes it's maybe a difficult situation. And, and you just think, man, I don't know if I can do it. And then you can. There will be times this week you'll be tempted to do something you know is sin. And God will give you the strength not to do it. There will be times this week, at, maybe at work or in your neighborhood or in your home, and somebody needs help, and you'll finding you, you will find yourself saying, I can help. I can do that. Because this is what the Holy Spirit does when he begins to work in our lives. He changes our hearts a little bit at a time, writing his law on our heart. And that's a good thing, because the law is not a bad thing. The law is a great thing but we need it written on our hearts so that we understand it and we do it rightly. And the one who does that for us is the Holy Spirit. So what we're talking about today is not you just trying to do harder, but it means I try to walk with the Spirit who's doing, leading towards the right thing all the time. And I ask for his help. I ask for his guidance. 
So that sometimes instead of sitting there and trying to, I just say, God, I'm being tempted. God, I am tired. Help me. You may be at that spot right now, maybe here, maybe at home, where you're like, I'm so tired. I need help. And God's saying the Spirit is there. He has the power to change your heart. He gives the power to endure challenges, to make it through sufferings. And that's why in John 16, Jesus told them, you need the Spirit. This is the key, not me. This is the key now for you to live and walk this out. And I shouldn't say not me because it's all working together. But he will be with you. You will never be alone. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you are never alone because aloneness is the curse that humanity hates. We're not made to be alone. We're made for community. And sometimes the Spirit may speak in big ways and sometimes it may be just little whispers that guide you and nudge you in the right direction. Um, I can struggle sometimes with, uh, I don't know exactly how you say it. I think we all kind of struggle with this. We all want to be somebody. We all want to be special. You know, we all want to have something maybe that we're known for, that people look up to. <clears throat> and I can struggle with that. This is a part of my brokenness. I, I, I want to be somebody. I want to be I want to be smarter. I, I always want to have the right thing to say. I, I want to top every conversation. I can struggle with that. And I can remember one time in particular where this was going on and I was really, really aware of how difficult this was for me and how it was poisoning relationships around me. And just praying about it and feeling, you know, and you know how this is. Sometimes you, I, felt, felt like, I just felt like God was talking to me. It felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, you don't need to be special. You're my son. You don't need to be special. I think times with my kids, when they worked at excelling at things, when they tried to excel at things, and I tried to always remind them, even if you don't, it's okay, because you're my kid, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you. And how much I love you is not dictated by how well you do academically or on the sports field or in choir or whatever drama, whatever the things were they happened to be involved in at the time, is telling them, it doesn't, this, this is great, but this is what's key. I love you. And having the Holy Spirit, in a sense, whisper that. I can remember I, I, I was praying and I said, God, help me with this. I'd rather not carry this stupid self-centered burden of always trying to be special or always trying to be better. And how did that, how did that come about? And, and, and it's still a struggle and it probably will be for the rest of my life. But the changes are happening. And how did that come about? That was a gentle whisper in a quiet time. It wasn't a huge thing. It wasn't a lightning bolt out of heaven. But it was the voice of the comforter. And that's what the Spirit is. And that's how he works. And there may be a time, maybe even this week, you'll feel especially sad. It might be a small thing. It might be a big thing. Maybe you'll be sitting in a hospital room. Maybe you'll lose a job. Maybe a marriage gone bad. Maybe losing someone you love. Maybe carrying a wound. Maybe an addiction. And sometimes out of nowhere... Maybe from scripture or a friend or a book or something, a word will come that you're not alone. Somebody knows the Spirit is with you. He is 
with you through this. And he is working. And God is changing us. And he's using the power of the Holy Spirit. He's using him in different ways through the word of God, through community that we involve ourselves in. And it is a part from Scripture, I believe it's a, it's a part of this glory, the Shekinah glory of God that will never leave you. You know, in the Old Testament, they used to go to the temple because that's where the glory was. And then what happened? With Jesus Christ, everything changed. Then we were sought by the glory. And now it is in us. And so we see verses like this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Now I'm going to say this. This verse is often used by people to berate other people to tell them to stop doing what the original person thought is wrong. You know, you need to stop doing that. Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And this verse oftentimes for young people is like a negative verse because it was often used in a negative way. But look at it. What an incredibly beautiful, positive verse. Your body, you, you're where God dwells. And he loves to be there. He doesn't go, oh, this one's really dirty. Oh, I said I would, so I have to. No, he loves to be there. This is an incredibly powerful verse. It's not about stopping whatever people, smoking or, you know, don't drink or whatever people use it for in so many different ways. It's this, it's this, you have this beautiful privilege. God has decided to be with you in an incredibly intimate way. What a privilege. What a privilege. It's great news. It's joyous news. So he's in us. So when you take time to pray for someone that you know is struggling, what's going on? The Spirit is working. The Shekinah glory is starting to work, is starting to show. When you help someone, when you see someone that needs help and, 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 and you help someone in some way, and it could be an incredibly little thing, the Spirit is working. The glory is there in that. When you give to an organization that you think is doing something that honors God, you're, this is what's going on. The Spirit is working. When you love someone, when you forgive someone, This is all part of the Spirit's work and being in step with him. And it starts with Jesus. It starts with us turning our life over to him, something that could be done at any moment in a person's life where we understand who we are, we understand who God is, we see the sin in us, and we understand the price that Jesus paid for that sin. And then understand that this salvation is full and free and is offered to us. And when we accept it, when we yield, we have the Spirit in us. And I was thinking about this. I wrote this down because I came across this uh, a couple of weeks ago. A guy, and I don't even remember who said it. But he said, you can either be filled with the Spirit or filled with yourself. And that's an easy thing, you know, in a sense for us to stop and think about. Am I just living for me? Is the things that I am, the things that I am saying, do they just make me feel good? The things that maybe I post, is it just all about me? Am I filled with the Spirit or am I filled with myself? 
And that's part of the hard work we have to do to stop sometimes and think, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? We don't have to be a hero. God's not looking for heroes. He has the best one, Jesus. He's just looking for people who are willing to be faithful. People who are willing to say, God, would you help me be emptied of the things that distract me so that I can follow you? God, help me to get push away those distractions so that I can follow you. And praying, God, let your spirit guide me. I pray your spirit would guide me, comfort me, strengthen me, challenge me. And then, then as we do that, as a part of the body of Christ, what happens? The Shekinah glory starts breaking through. It affects people's lives. I mean, you think about it. It's the most incredible thing in the world. We have the power within us. Not, it's not our power. It's the power God has placed within us. The power that can change a person's life. Change a person's life. Totally. The first time... One of my brothers came to me, he had gotten saved, and uh, he came to me and he wanted to talk to me about it. And, uh, and uh, we sat down in, in, a, in a back room in our house and he started explaining what God had done and how his life had changed. And um, he said, do you want that in your life? And I was like, no, <laughs> you're crazy. I thought he was crazy. And, and, and what happened? He said, well, then... Forget you, you're a jerk. No. He just said, I'm sorry, you know, and, and we, you know, sorry you feel that way. And we just went on with our lives. And sometimes he would, we'd see each other and he'd talk about it a little more and see each other and talk about it. But it, it, took, it took like six years. It took six years. And, and then God worked and, and my life changed. You're going to bump into people this week. And their day might be six years from now. All you're doing is planting little seeds. Ask the Spirit to show you. Ask the Spirit to guide you. Ask the Spirit to open your eyes to how you can impact people's lives. I mean, we have, we have people who are watching this. Probably, we have people who are watching this right now, and, and they're basically homebound. And so the easy thing would be to say, well, okay, Bob, fine. You know, if God wants me to talk to somebody, they've got to show up and wear a mask and we'll talk through the window or something like that. But no, there's tons of ways. What, what we do with our time, what we do with our money, what we do with, with our abilities, all of those things are ways that we can impact people's lives. We can plant seeds that could bear fruition six years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I don't know. But all God's asking is that we're faithful in the small things and allow the Spirit to lead us in the small things. And as we do that, his glory breaks through. His glory changes hearts and lives on this earth. And we have the incredible privilege of being a part of that. What a great thing that is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you um, for sending your son and sending your spirit so that now we can lean on you for guidance, for strength, for help, for clarity. We can trust you to be there with us through even the most difficult times. And when we're struggling and we're crying, Lord, you cry too because you're with us and in it. And through Jesus, you know how this feels in our lives. And so, Lord, help us to rest in that and take comfort in that. Father, help us to be people who seek ways 
to follow you and be a part of what you're doing on this earth. Help us not to just coast along and float along and do what is kind of the minimum. Lord, help us to be people who are actively involved in other people's lives with love and forgiveness and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for listening online. God bless you and have a great week. Thanks. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawn. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like
I'm very- 